Hello, and welcome to Six Figure Authors, the show that helps you take your writing career to the next level. I'm Lindsay Baroker, and I'm here with my two co-hosts. I'm Joe Lalo. And I'm Andrea Pearson. We are covering part two of using your newsletter to sell more books on this week's show. And before we get rolling, I last time I was like, oh, we should talk about bonuses. <laughs> so before we jump back into the questions for Andrea, um, what kind of bonuses or do you use bonuses or do you just be like hey do you just be like man <laughs> we're recording this late at night can you tell the english is going out the door um do you use bonuses and if so what kind of bonuses are you giving to entice people to sign up for your newsletters is it okay if i go first just to give my voice a break longer go ahead okay and Lindsay, you had a wardrobe change i thought we weren't gonna do that <laughs> and so as we mentioned last week, we were recording these back to back so we can have, be off next week. I'm still wearing the same shirt. I was just a little cold. So I put on my hoodie. Oh, I wish I were a little cold. <laughs> okay. So bonus content, bonus content, stuff like that we share. Is this like a reader magnet you're talking about or like download bonuses? I mean, what were you looking for specifically? Like what, what do you promise to people to get them to sign up for your okay. newsletter? Um, okay. So that's actually buried wild, wildly across the years. Um, I've, I've, um, gotten better at it in the beginning. I just offered any old free thing. And then I started getting more targeted and then I started offering free stuff that they actually wanted, not just within the genre, but things they actually wanted. Now what I do is I offer a free box set of stuff and I've, I've included stuff in that box set of, you know, from all of my series and then a couple stuff that just didn't sell that my readers enjoy right reading for free, but didn't want to buy. Um, and so, and I'm, I had plans to update that once a year. I'm not going to update that thing. Probably. I don't know if ever, I don't know. It's got a lot of free stuff in it. So it's got a full length novel and a bunch of novellas, a couple short stories. I'm like, there's no reason for me to constantly add more and more to it. You know, I can just, um, not worry about that. Take that off my to-do list, but that's what I do. Do you find, here's the second half of my question that I came up with for you guys, what that you've done has worked the best? Like you just, have you, is there anything you've done that's like, ooh, the signups are just streaming in now? Um, yeah, actually there's a short story. So my first book, Discern, it's about this chick and a love interest. They don't really get together until halfway through the series or towards the end of the series. But um, he's like a complete jerk to her and you don't know why. And it never explains why in the series. And so I wrote a short scene from his perspective of the first time they meet and why he's a jerk. It has nothing to do with her. It's just, he's going through something. And that has been downloaded as a bonus, as bonus content from like book funnel more than anything else I put up, including free novels. And so, yeah, that was, that's something that's worked really, really well. So for like listeners, if you, and I always call it a delicious short story, pick something that readers really want and make it, you know, write that, take a day or two you write that and then use that go ahead joe um so i have gone through a couple different uh i used to call them perks newsletter perks uh, i've gone through a few in the beginning i didn't really have anything so uh, i made something i made a, a short story i don't remember what the original short story was and it wasn't particularly popular and then i tried doing some things uh like i said i had some art that was uh, newsletter specific and it was just a big really nice uh uh wallpaper for your computer or your phone. I had them in all different sizes uh, that was done by the cover artist. And that did okay. 
And then I wrote a short story that was an immediate prequel, like as in it ended hours before the the book started of the Book of Deacon, my, my most popular series. And uh, since most of the people who were signing up for my newsletter at that time, and even really still today, are people who were signing up uh, after reading the first book in the Book of Deacon series, they are very interested in reading the uh, the first book, like what led to the first book. So that is still technically my newsletter perk is the uh it's called the rules of the game and um but i'm planning something new now this is sort of a spin-off of my uh my patreon i often say to people that the patreon it's never nothing is going to be on the patreon exclusively it will all eventually be released and the way i've been doing it is i take all the things that aren't related to my other series and i have a, a basically a series of anthologies called paradoxes and dragons and i release them like that and then all the ones that are related to my series i put into a different thing which i call side quests and uh, side quests is going to be the annually renewed um, newsletter perk going forward. So every year I'll take a year's worth of side stories that I wrote in my Patreon and make them a newsletter perk so that that's the way that you can get them if you don't want to sign up my new my Patreon. And I haven't deployed that yet. Technically, the first side quest I gave away for free as part of a, a COVID let's all give stuff away for free thing. But uh, that's going to be the plan going forward is... is uh, side quests gathered up annually. All righty. And for myself, I mentioned I've got two newsletter lists, one for my fantasy people and one for my sci-fi people, and they both have different bonuses. Um, the fantasy ones, I, I actually originally never had anything. Like for probably the first five years, I would say, that I was authoring, publishing books. It was just my newsletter was like, here, sign up if you're interested in updates and new releases and tidbits. And I didn't email them very often either. Um, so I did get people to sign up that way that wanted the updates. But I definitely saw a huge um, boost when I started giving away the bonuses. I did that when I made my sci-fi list. And I gave away my... This is a Fallen Empire series. It's all out and published now and wide. And it's all from the woman's point of view. It's a first person... Not first person. It's third person, but one character throughout the series. And there is a romance that develops over the series. They kind of start out as enemies and things progress as they do. Um, but you never get the guy's point of view. So I did the prequel novella from his point of view that tells his backstory. And that was my kind of my first experience with like just tons of people came and bought it. Uh, obviously the book was selling well too. So they got, you know, a lot of people got to the end and signed up, but that uh, email list quickly surpassed in numbers, the number of people like in months, I had more people on the new sci-fi list than the fantasy list that had been building for like five or six years, uh, just organically with a form from the site. So I certainly saw the power of giving them something like that. And like Andrea said, it explained the character that you never got into his head in the series. So that uh, is one of my sci-fi bonuses. And then I've got uh, short stories for the new series. And I, I've kind of forgotten now. I've got three sci-fi series. And I do something new with every series. And with my fantasy list, I, I mentioned in the last show that I have like a box set with the first four series starters, four novels. And that was less to like, I don't think people are like, oh, I got to get that. Because almost all those are perma-free at this point anyway. It was more 
getting a new reader that comes in on a new series to check out my old series because they're getting, here's the first one, uh, and they can try all four of those. And ideally, they'll go on and buy and read all four series. But the thing that gets them on that list is um, I've done bonus scenes for, for another series, but my new uh, Death Before Dragons Urban Fantasy series, it's kind of another thing where it's, it's in first person, so you only ever get the point of view of the female protagonist. But there's a love interest that starts out as an enemy. You see a theme? I found that this works for me, guys. <laughs> you know, he starts out as the enemy and later becomes the love interest. And um, so people are very curious about what's going on in his head. So I wrote I wrote a story that I could give them, but then I also wrote the first three books. I think I did the first three. Some of the scenes I rewrote from his point of view. So this is all new stuff. It's like 20,000 words of his POV. It was a much bigger task than I realized I'd <laughs> given myself. I think the whole thing ended up being 20,000 20, words of that and then 15,000 words of a new story. But again, they really sign up for that way more than just some other side short stories and stuff I, I've done. So uh, as Andrew said, if you can give them something that you know they're not getting in the series, but they're curious about, you will get people onto your list. And I have a very good number of people stick around after that point, uh, probably hoping for more bonus scenes, <laughs> which I, I do often do uh, extra things, interviews with characters and, and that sort of thing. So I try to, every time I've got something new to sell to people, I try to also do at least do like, here's a, uh, I've done like extra scenes. I did one for that Death Before Dragon series. There's also a sentient tiger. So I did a scene where we find out if sentient tigers from another realm like catnip. So that's kind of fun. Uh, so that's a little bonus for I did for the last book. So uh, those kind of things that give more about the characters that they already are invested in work really well for me. Uh, and as Andrea pointed out, this is for readers who are already kind of fans. They at least got to the end of one book versus, you know, starting a new list from scratch. You, you would do something different in that case. All right. Do you have any comments about that? Anything else before we go back into ask, asking Andrea questions about newsletters? All right. So we talked a little bit about subject lines in the last one. Let's talk a little bit about content because as we mentioned, authors can, it's funny and I'm the perfect example of this is like, I have no trouble writing a story or a bonus scene to share with people, but do you want me to come up with something interesting about myself to write <laughs> in a, a letter? This is very difficult for me. So for authors like that, uh, you know, do you have any suggestions? Like I always try to make myself at least open with a little bit casual, rambly, trying to be a little funny before I jump into like, here's the new book or here's the bonus scene. Um, but Andrea, what are some good practices for getting the sales without coming across as too much of a hard sell? So there are, so there are tons and tons of methods that authors can use to sell books. Um, a really great one is storytelling. Actually. I know that, I mean, uh, yeah, it, it does. It requires work. It requires a, you know, a little bit more thought and you're going to want to plan. If you do this method, you're going to want to plan it out um, in, in advance. And sometimes a story can go across more than one email. Sometimes it's going to be in just one email. Um, anyway, storytelling. So if you've ever received a letter from a reader who had, has just gone through something really awful and your book helped them through it, get permission to share it with your other readers. And then you can turn it into uh, just, you know, if, if it's not a really wordy one, you could, you could guide them and ask them questions and just turn it into a story, not like a novel or a, a fiction, just, you know, what's that style of, of true life? It's like fiction. It's not fiction, but it's written like a fictional story. Do you, what is that called? 
Anybody got an answer? Nope. Sorry. You're on your own. Our, our listeners will know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like true life. It's, it's not like true life crime. It's, it's a real story, but it's told in a fictional type of way where it just feels like you're reading a story. Anyway, so that's something that would work really well. Um, you could, if you ever like take action from history, get inspired by history and put that in your books, then tell a story about someone or something that happened that relates to your story. Um, so for example, one of my Coven Chronicles uh, novels, the main character visit a, visits a haunted lighthouse in Texas. And the actual lighthouse is not haunted, though there was there's like this really awesome, crazy history where the first caretaker was super, super eccentric. And he got really angry when they replaced him. He was like a caretaker until he was in his 80s. And he could no longer do it. And when they replaced him, he got really angry. And he just like just flew off the handle. And so it was really easy to write him into the book as a ghost. <laughs> a poltergeist. poltergeist. Um, readers have been delighted by that. So I could tell his story in my email, including the parts that occur in my book and, you know, let them know that this part is what happens in my book and leave it on a sort of cliffhanger ending. Then tell readers to go download the book to find out more. Um, also, if there's a location your book takes place in, you can find something out about that place, tell a story about it and tie it into your book. Um, if you're a nonfiction author, telling a story about your life works really, really great. So how your topic helped you overcome a huge trial and how it can help others too. Um, most of us are fiction writers. We're already telling stories. So if we can bring that element to our emails, we'll be more successful because readers will already, already feel at home with our books and styles and style. And the way we write our emails and the way we write these stories is going to hopefully be close to the way our, our, the, the flow of our books go and the way our style is in an actual novel. Um, and so it'll, like I said, it'll help readers feel at home. Um, as to other practices that get the point across without being pushy. Um, Marketing Donut did a study that found that like 63% of people won't buy for six months and 80% take at least five follow-ups. So this wasn't in relation to books, but it still applies. Um, it takes people time to make decisions or to even come around to actually buying. And even avid readers sometimes hesitate to jump on board with a new series. So every email needs to be about your books. Even if you're going off on something that's not quite related to buying your book. If you're talking about your books regularly, when you do ask them to buy, it won't come as a shock and it won't feel pushy and it, and it will, um, it'll, it'll be more natural. And yes, marketing donut man alive. There's some really crazy marketing search researching firms out there. <laughs> All right. So, uh, we've talked a little bit about this a moment ago, but on the subject of tone and vocabulary, what should be our target? Are we matching our emails to the level of our novels or should we be shooting for a more basic turn of phrase? Um, yes and yes. <laughs> so the goal should be have our emails sound like us. So kind of like what I was just saying, our tone of voice, regardless of the topic, um, it's going to be familiar to readers if we follow our personality. Uh, I, I write horror and romance. These are aspects of my person, and there are aspects of my personality that trigger horror and romance. So I can be both lighthearted and funny. And, uh, you know, on my, the other side of my personality, angsty, intense, emotional, um, terrorizing, innocent people. Um, if it's always me, it won't matter what the, to the topic is. Um, people who are successful pretending to be something they're not are really, really rare. And we honestly should probably just avoid them. Um, so just be yourself in your emails and write books that fit you, even if they're written to market. And that really goes a long way when it comes to the, the subject and the tone and the vocabulary that you're using. Um, another thing that um, we don't actually mention in here, but is mentioned in the course is your emails should be written to a third or a fifth grade reading level between there, because the average um, American reads at about a ninth to a 10th grade level, or even a sixth grade level. The studies are all over the board, but you want to make your email easy to read and easy to take in really quickly without, you know, lots of big words. Um, 
And that helps with where the tone is concerned as well. Although if you're writing hard sci-fi and your novel is full of big words, maybe your email should like be a warning, you know, hey, you're going to get the technical stuff in this book. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but your emails are also selling tools. And so you want to get the point ac- across really quickly and be, you know, be like, this is the important information. I mean, you can go into things, um, but not everybody's going to want that away from a story. But I mean, you make a good point. Your books and your, and your writing style is going to, you know, be relatively similar. All right. So if you're doing your email and as I mentioned, I guess in the last show, I mean, the whole reason we do this is to sell books. Like, you know, we want people to become our fans, but probably most of us, you know, some of us writers are going to be like awesome at the entertaining letters that, you know, you can make your boring trip to the grocery store sound amazingly interesting. But a lot of other people are like, okay, the books are where it's at, you know, so we want to sell the books. So how many things should you promote in one uh, newsletter? Because I have to ask because I can be guilty because I don't email as often of maybe putting in too many things like here's the new release. Here's the new bonus scene. Oh, also there's a new audio book out from podium. Um, you know, is there too much? And I guess some of that I'll answer my own question is testing on how many, whether the links farther down in the email are getting clicked and you're getting those sales is probably the easiest way to answer that. But do you have any thoughts on general practices, best practices? Yeah. I mean, we're, we're peach preaching to the choir here. Um, all of us know what we should be doing, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say that many, if not most authors break away from what encourages the best conversions on this one. Um, obviously promoting just one thing is going to get best conversions, but we're not likely to stick to that 100% of the time. Um, my main thing with this is to put the most important thing in the top, um, to use a table of contents. So like a, a set of brief bullet points with links and to repeat links at least twice, if not three times in the email. When I have an email that has multiple things in it, I'll mention them in that bullet point at the top in the meat of the email. And again, at the bottom in another bullet point list, just kind of like a refresher. Um, if the other calls to action aren't as important, so like the other things that you want people to do, you're usually the most important thing is going to be to download a book. And so that's probably going to be the most important thing. And then if something else is not as important, you could consider just having the main one at the top and the bottom, then scatter the rest throughout their email without reminding people again. Um, Simplify things, uh, simplify the email into pictures, images. So picture, 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 like boom, boom, boom. Um, studies show that people process images 60,000 times faster than text. So one glance gives them what they need to know. Whereas reading a whole paragraph on text about a new, new, uh, release is going to take them much longer to get through. So if you've got an audiobook, a new release and the cover of the free bonus scene, you can have all of those just, you know, the audiobook cover, the new release or whatever new release first, then audiobook cover and the cover of the free bonus scenes have those images all linked to the appropriate places. And then maybe one or two sentences below that, um, you know, just, just add a little bit of verbs and words in there that makes it so that readers can get to the point really, really quickly. And as I said, make sure the images are low resolution. So they do load quickly. Um, too many words discourages reading. And I mean, you can have the most important things be at the top in that image type format and then have, um, the paragraphs or the writing, or if there's something that you want to share outside of what you're wanting them to do below that. And I mean, that's just one of, of many ways where you can handle that sort of thing. Now, uh, you 
you're going to notice a, a theme where I'll often ask if things change when you write emails less frequently, does the recommended length of a newsletter change with you with, with frequency? Like can rarer newsletters tolerate longer emails? Um, yeah. Um, oh wow. My voice just tried to die there. <clears throat> okay. So too many words discourages reading. And that's a great tie into what I just said. And my voice is dying here. Um, Okay, so this I'll, is what happens when we we record back to back episodes. <laughs> All right, hopefully you'll get to take okay. a quick drink, Lindsay. Do you mind filling the blank for a minute? <laughs> I will excellently fill the blank. <laughs> uh, that was a good point, though, about making it like with pictures, breaking it up. You don't want this wall of text. This goes the same with eBooks. If I open your sample and it's a freaking wall of text on the first page, I'm like, you already have points against you, which is we like to be able to scan quickly through things. And even though I often feel like I have too many things, sometimes I do, you know, put headers like new, new book, new audio book, star kingdom, bonus scenes, whatever. So that people who are scanning can quickly see like they only care about the bonus scenes, you know, and see that and not necessarily just get a massive text. And even if you're just telling, you're telling more of a story, like we talked about, some people like to do use the enter key is your friend, right? <laughs> you just don't, especially on mobile, man, when you see that there's like no paragraph, it's sort of a turn off, even for somebody who likes to read. Right. No, it really can be. And I mean, like what I usually do with my emails, I mean, I'll occasionally break away from it and have three sentences in a paragraph, but I like one or two sentence paragraphs. And I know our, like our English teachers from high school or whatever and be like, that's like, that's not a full paragraph. And I still have readers tell me when they read my books occasionally, and there's one sentence in a paragraph. That's not a complete paragraph. You need to add more. I'm like, yeah. Anyway. Um, so in, um, back to Joe's question, he was asking about if the recommended length of a newsletter changes depending on frequency. Um, and so, um, too many words does discourage reading. If you're writing less frequently, getting to the point even faster is more is the most important thing. Um, need to be reminded very quickly about who you are and why you're emailing out of the blue. And if you email too infrequently or aren't consistent, consistent, it will fill out of the blue. So conversely, emailing frequently means getting to the point quickly too, though. So I don't know. My whole point here is get to the point. Don't, don't ramble a ton. I mean, I am a wordy person, but I don't ramble. When it comes to the business stuff, I am like, this is what I want you to do. This is what's going on. This is what's, you know, everything. And then when I get to the personal side, I, I do, I get more wordy, but I have readers who read that part and then readers who just want the important stuff. And so just, just be concise, get to the point, tell them what you want them to do in your emails and, if you don't have a point to your email, don't send the email. We've covered this already a little bit, but as far as content goes, do you have any tips for what you can talk about versus just like, here's the new book. Here's a picture of my dog. Uh, you know, any tips for authors that may help them get even like, like I know you should actually ask for replies <laughs> or ask them to take some action because then you'll be less likely to go in the spam folder next time if they have a relationship of like clicking on your content and interacting with it. So what, what are your thoughts on that? I like how this is kind of the, the Lindsay dogging on Lindsay um, episode. <laughs> it's, it's a common theme of our podcast. I think <laughs> do what I say, not what I do guys. <laughs> uh, yes. So my first suggestion right here would be to pull your readers. I mean, you can do it frequently you can do however often you want to do it. Um, it doesn't have to be like an official poll, but ask them questions about themselves and their lives, their favorite books, movies, music, things like that. 
um, favorite things about their houses, things they don't like about their houses, just go from there. And you can use those answers as a way to sell books later. So like fixing pain points, et cetera. Um, you can use them to generate content ideas and of course, find new readers. Just make sure you, you let them know that if they're sharing, um, if you plan on sharing responses that you might share their response or don't and don't share, <laughs> um, you can try spotlighting readers, um, telling a story and it doesn't have to be one with the goal of getting a download or talk about favorite recipes, tie that into maybe a, a character's favorite recipe, things like that. Um, just like I said, make sure you're giving them a reason to open your emails, provide content worth reading and tie everything back to your books. Um, yeah. All right. So, um, one of the other things I think about a lot, and, and we've discussed uh, earlier, should you be encouraging responses to your emails? And I'm just going to ask the follow-up right up front. Uh, if you do, should you reply to those responses and how long should you keep that conversation going? Okay, so how long you should keep a conversation going? I I don't know. I, I don't come across this way, but I hate emailing back and forth. Absolutely hate it. And I generally end it after one or two back and forths. And if somebody keeps responding, I'm just like, I will shorten my responses until they have nothing to respond to <laughs> just to get them to stop. Um, I, I don't like doing email and I'm notoriously bad at it. Um, and it's really funny because I'm always like, you need to be emailing people and encouraging responses, stuff like that. My favorite way to get responses is through, um, Google forms, honestly. But, um, so yes, you should encourage responses. Uh, every situation is different though. And I've been through plenty of periods of time where getting email pushed me into a panic state the lasted months. And I'm just climbing out of one right now. So now I'm actually answering emails as they come in instead of um, ignoring them for several months because it panics me thinking about having to answer. Um, from a business perspective, um, here are a couple of reasons why encouraging responses is good. Um, so it improves sender and rela uh, receiver relationships. So both personal and technical. So the, you know, email client side, um, it improves your reputation, respect with the email clients. So if people are emailing re and responding, it means they want to hear from you. It helps people connect with you. Uh, and if listeners can't tell, I did write this up ahead of time because I don't usually think in bullet points, not concisely anyway. Um, if they're responding, they're doing something and conversions later will be easier and better to come, um, better and they'll be easier to come by. So studies have shown that somewhere around 60% of the time when someone isn't buying, it isn't because they're buying someone else's product. It's because they're simply not doing anything at all. So getting them out of that lethargic, no action funk is important. Having it be a habit to do something when they get your emails is good. Um, not all responses, like I said, need to be via email. And as I said, I love using Google forms. Uh, I'm able to quickly take in information without getting a ton of emails and without having to respond to a ton of emails. So I'll be like, what is your favorite thing about your house? Go put your answer in here and having them click while different from having them respond still benefits you and your reputation as an email sender. Um, and then, um, should respond or not. Like I said, I try to, I, I respond to almost everything, but not all emails require responses. Okay. So I respond to things that require responses. Not everything does though. Uh, a couple back and forth M uh, messages does wonders to send a respect not to mention you making your reader feel like a million dollars. Um, so yeah, if getting emails doesn't overwhelm you, then encourage email responses. If it does have people fill out that form and you can include, uh, their answers in your next email, things like that. I don't know. Um, yeah, I just, I don't, I mean, I encourage emails and responses very rarely. I do send them mostly to the Google forms. And then, like I said, I don't encourage the back and forth conversation because I don't even do that with my family and my friends. I'm like, stop emailing me. <laughs> 
I like that idea of doing Google Forms and maybe I will even try to do that. Though I do have to wonder, is there, as far as like um, interaction and maybe getting the providers to be less likely to treat you as spam, is there a difference between them clicking the link to go buy the book and then clicking on a link to go to Google Forms or is just any clicking is good? So encourage it. <laughs> Um, any clicking is good as long as it's not the spam or unsubscribe button. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. So as far as tracking how effective your emails are being, um, you know, there's those quotes like things that think that which gets measured gets improved and the opposite. Like if you're not measuring, you're never, it's never going to get any better. And, you know, all the email providers provide some stats. If you click it, like, how many times was this link clicked or, and it, but it's a little hard, uh, to trust them. You know, a lot of people have privacy things set up or just their ISP is like, no, nope, sorry, you're not getting that information. So what are your thoughts? And, and we should point out, I love affiliate links. And honestly, that's the easiest answer, easiest way to know if uh, I sold books and I use them on my Facebook page, but you're not supposed to use them on newsletters for Amazon anyway. I, I'm not sure if iTunes or uh, Apple and the other stores that have affiliate programs care, but they're great. But you know, you're not supposed to use them unless you could redirect them to your website and then have the affiliate link on your website. But then you possibly risk losing people because they have to click more time. So I will stop rambling and ask you what, what, what you think about tracking whether people are clicking on your links and buying your books. Um, so Amazon requires you to get every website that you post, um, that you post, um, e uh, affiliate links on approved through them. And so it's not just, I mean, face everywhere, pretty much everywhere, unless you get approved through them. And my little light just died. My light went out guys. <laughs> so, unfortunate. Yes. Very unfortunate. Um, if you're getting clicks, then your emails are converting, but keep an eye on clicks. Uh, 2.5% is normal for an open rate of around 15% to 25%. Uh, 5% and up is normal for an open rate above 25%. Um, obviously anything above 5% is amazing. If you're getting 50% open rates and only 2.5% clicks or even less, then your content is the problem. So people who are super personal, and this is something I've mentioned already, I've mentioned last week, uh, people who are super personal end up with lower conversions and higher opens than others. Uh, readers are devouring their content, but they aren't motivated to do anything ab about it. So avoid that trap. Um, I can't recommend people use affiliate links since that's against the TOSs of Amazon system, but it's a great way. It is. I mean, it's a great way to find out if your selling emails are converting. And a lot of authors do it anyway, you know, until you get cracked down and you lose your affiliate account, but that's usually only bringing in a few hundred a month anyway. So, um, I mean, there's also different sorts of different ways to tech check if your emails are converting. And I know that it's mostly going to be, we're looking for when we're selling stuff, are they converting? But it's also, I mean, are people filling out your polls? Are people downloading other readers' books? Are they, um, what else is there? Are they posting reviews? Anything that, that can, um, basically anything that can help you monitor whether your emails are converting. Um, you can pay attention to whether you get a bump after sending an email about a specific book. Uh, you can set up other things to find out if people are doing what you ask them to do. Like I said, Google forums, likes on your page, following you on BookBub, posting review, things like that are easy to track. Um, and almost all the time, if there's money involved, if they're not buying your books, they're probably not buying other people's books and vice, well, not always vice versa, but I mean, affiliate links, I mean, that's like, it is, it really is the easiest way other than watching to see how much of a bump you get after you send an email. Unsatisfying answer, right? 
<laughs> I know we all just want to use the affiliate links anyway. Uh, I did it in the past when, you know, I rarely do exchanges anymore. I mean, I only experimented with it uh, when I jumped into the new genre, the sci-fi, which is not that new now after four years. But uh, my point is <laughs> I did swaps and I kind of figured out how can I do this? And, you know, I'll email like with their three books and I definitely found that even including the covers, like the book one, it didn't matter how great the cover was. Book one got the most clicks, book two, the least, book three, or sales anyway, uh, clicks and sales. So, you know, I feel like, yeah, you're not supposed to use affiliate links, but it's the easiest way to know. But you should get a bump if you have a reasonably big newsletter. Um, you, even if you're doing a lot of things that day, your newsletter is probably going to be, I mean, certainly my biggest source of sales. A bookbub thing might be an exception. Uh, probably, yeah. <laughs> but that, you're not going to have a bookbub going out for your new release anyway, the same day that you're emailing your list. So you should know to some extent if you're getting the sales. Uh, I have no idea how to suggest like how many you should get per thousand people or anything like that. But certainly I would hope for hundreds of sales if you've got a newsletter in the thousands. Uh, all right, Joe, I'll pass it off to you. Okay, doke. So, uh, so sort of the same topic here, but should we be stressing about things like open rates and click rates? And what are some benchmarks to shoot for, or maybe to watch for, you know, the warnings uh, levels that we should make sure that we're above? Yeah. So I don't know. I, I say don't stress too much, but don't get complacent either. Uh, as the saying goes, there's always room for improvement. So don't kill yourself over it. But if you can fix things that might be causing problems. So are people not opening your emails? Then how are your subject lines doing? Are they boring or misleading? And then with your content, um, are, if people are not converting or if they're unsubscribing, most authors are not going to have the problem of being reported as spam or being, um, uh, have subscribe, especially not our listeners, because, you know, people who listen to podcasts that teach how to be good authors don't generally try to be bad authors, right? So we're not going to get like spam and tons of unsubscribes. But I mean, is your, are you, are your, let's see, do you talk too much about things that are irrelevant or off topic? Are you consistent? Uh, do you treat readers with respect? Are you personal in your tone? Um, are you acting natural and like yourself? So all of these things can positively or negatively affect your opens and clicks. Um, pay attention to what we've already talked about. We're oversharing and undersharing our concern. So if you're not connecting with readers, your conversions won't be as good. And if you're over connecting, drawing back the current too much, your conversions again, aren't going to be as good. It's a fine line to walk and none of us are perfect at it all the time. Um, yeah, that's pretty much the end of that answer. I believe. <laughs> We are fortunate though, as authors that we are giving people something they want. Like imagine how hard it is to sell those, um, enhancement pills for certain organs. Like most people, I mean, I suppose there's a few people that want that, but you know, like I feel like our open rates are probably the highest in the industry, you know, us and maybe other entertainers that are people are signing up, assuming they signed up because they read our stuff and want more of it. So I guess don't stress too much, right? <laughs> should I, should we, we had a few tips at the end. Do you want to, should we jump into those and you can tell them about your course after that? All right. Honestly, I, I feel bad. I should have had people, we should have told them about your course at the end of the last episode, but everybody was freezing up. So apologies. We've had a few Zoom technical difficulties during recording this two-part episode. So um, thank you guys for sticking with us. But 
just a few things to ask to end with for this giant two-part episode. Um, one, I was, you know, we skimmed through your course. It's very long and meaty. You guys, you should probably take it <laughs> if you're interested in more of this stuff. I don't know. But one of the things you mentioned, which I thought was worth highlighting, is um, setting deadlines to encourage readers to buy now. And I've definitely, like, you don't want to do anything hokey, right? Or like a lie or say, this is going to, this is only on sale for now, if, if that's not true. But I've definitely had my best results when it's been like a limited time sale or especially when I've, uh, a couple of times now to reward, uh, people who order books right away when they come out. I've done deals on the pre-orders, like, like $2 off the usual $4.99 price that goes up to full price on the release. Any thoughts for, you know, deadlines make people act or more? Cause I had excellent pre-order numbers uh, when I did that. Everybody wants a deal, right? Um, so any thoughts on that, getting people to maybe more reliably or boost their, <laughs> you know, interest in acting by creating a deadline if it makes sense to do? Yeah. Um, I mean, even when it, you're not selling, even if you just want to get information from your readers through a poll or things like that, creating a sense of urgency or scarcity is one of the best marketing and, and other tools like business tools out there. Um, and you mentioned legit, as long as it's legit, it can be very powerful. So we're, um, most, I'm going to say that most people are exhausted. We're lazy. We're stressed. We're bored. We're indifferent. All of that. If you show the value of something, it convinces them that they should buy, but it doesn't convince them that they should buy now. So putting a deadline on it or limiting the number of items available for purchase can be really motivating. Um, and I'm going to talk just a little bit about what, um, what out the, you know, creating a false sense of urgency or um, a false deadline. There are a ton of people out there who, who market their courses and I'm specifically targeting um, course creators right now. They market their courses year round and year round. If you click on their websites, they have a countdown down timer that says this ant deal will end in two hours. But if you click to their website from a different computer a day or two later, that countdown is still there. And it still says this deal will end in two hours. This is scammy and it was going to ruin your reputation in the long run. Um, um, yeah, I mean, and the same goes for Facebook ads. Don't tell people the deal is ending soon if you plan on that ad being up for a long time. People are smarter than that. They can see when a comment's been there for a whole year or, you know, and you're getting gradual, you're getting comments in all the time. And the same thing's going to be with, with your emails and your sales and things like that. So creating a sense of urgency or deadline is really, really good. And yeah, like the pre-order thing, that's awesome. Like what I used to do when I do pre-orders quite regularly is I would be like the pre-order, the book is going to be up for 99 cents for until the end of the launch week, grab your copy now, or it's going to be up for 99 cents during the pre-order period only, you know, things like that are really, really great to get people motivated to buy and having a, um, a launch week price that is, um, better than regular is also good because it gives you that urgency. Again, it's not only is it a new product that people are going to want to download eventually, you're adding that urgency that gets them to download now instead of waiting. And a quick question on the polls, because we talked about that a little earlier. What kind of things, like, I mean, anybody can think, but I was thinking, like, I should ask everybody what their favorite book is, because if they like my stuff, they probably like other similar authors, and maybe I could then share with the list. Ten people love David Eddings also, so you should check him out. But um, I was kind of wondering, with a form, how to make that easy. <laughs> <laughs> from on my end, right? Like, cause they're going to have to write in a title and somebody has to then go through all the titles that get written in. So any thoughts on like what kind of polls to do? And if you do something like that, is there an easy way to gather that information? 
Yeah. Um, multiple choice answers. And when I do my big polls, like when I'm trying to get information about my readers, like their demographics, I will provide them the answers with multiple choice, um, questions and answers. So if I'm looking at like the country and the world, I will split up the United States into like the East, the West, the mid, you know, the South, all of that. And I'll, I'll say, where are you from? And then they pick a multiple choice answer. Um, and then like across the country, you know, I'll have like the, um, like, uh, South America, Central America, Asia, um, sometimes, you know, or, you know, all of those kinds of things. So you just decide what you want to do with your, your different types of demographics, things like that. But topics are, um, that you would want to pull people about, um, are anything that you might find valuable to know. So demographic already re- are mess are already mentioned that, um, reading habits, buying habits, etc. So if you know how your current readers buy, read and who they are, then you're more able to target readers who are similar successfully. Um, I use polls liberally. They're one of my favorite forms of communication because of how manageable the incoming data is. Uh, what you're trying to achieve is understanding and knowledge so you can expound, expand your business and connect with readers. Plus, people love talking about themselves and being asked questions. It really helps. And like in the case of Lindsay or any, I know we have a lot of listeners who, um, who manage their business similar to how Lindsay does her emails. Like if you send out a poll that asks them about themselves, they're going to be like, oh, my favorite author wants to know something about me. They're going to go and answer, you know? And so, um, if you open-ended questions are great because they get to express themselves. Um, I read those responses. Um, sometimes I'll wait a week before I go through them and then I'll quickly go through them. Sometimes I have my assistant read them and give me the gist, you know, sometimes if it's something I'm really, truly curious about, I will read the answers more than once because, you know, it's, yeah, I don't know why, <laughs> but generally like, um, if you provide the answer to them, it just makes that information really, really easy to get across. Cause it, you know, you get a little graph and it shows you a little pie chart of ages and things like that. So asking them their ages, um, like, uh, the gender, their location, um, like their buying habits, things like that are really great because then you can target future readers who, who fit in those same demographics. So it just makes marketing a lot easier. So the answer is there's no easy way to ask them their favorite book because you can't do that. You get four choices. It's Harry Potter, it's Twilight, it's Lord of the Rings, or that's it. That's what your choice is. Um, yeah, that might be a case where it would be worth it just to pay someone for a couple hours of work to go through and gather the data, data for you. That would be pretty easy. <laughs> All right. Yeah, sorry about that. My brain is like... <laughs> I'm like, oh, you're right. You did ask that specific question. <laughs> well, and I'm sure actually there would be some, the problem would be they would type it in differently too. But they'd be like the Belgarian, you know, or like I love the first David Edding series, you know. So like it would be hard to even search for how many times did this book come up. But yeah, that's why Fiverr was invented. <laughs> I just, just want to say what's funny to, about this to me is that I'm listening to this thing. Well, you just write a Python script and then enter in the similar names into the filter. And like, like, like this is literally was my job. So for me, it's like, oh, that's easy. Joe, you're hired. <laughs> yep, Joe, everybody's me coming to you now. How much do you charge an hour? Though? Those programmers, man, they make big money. They do. They really do. <laughs> All right. And I guess we should clarify too that you're not just trying to like effectively stalk your readers by asking where they live or how old they are it's actually useful to know like a lot of people write like YA fiction and they only learn later through interacting with readers 
through emails that their most of their readers are like in their forties or something. So it's good to know because then you can know too, like maybe what social media platforms you should be targeting. If you find out actually you've got a lot of young readers, maybe you want to hop on to TikTok. TikTok, if it's still legal in the U.S. by the time this podcast comes out, or Snapchat, or you know, one of the ones that the younger readers. Uh, and if you have more boomers and like Generation X, maybe you should be on um, Facebook, which uh, probably I'll be on Facebook anyway. But that is not necessarily the place where the younger uh, folks hang out. I understand as an old fart now. <laughs> uh, any thoughts on that? I have one more question for you. No, I mean, a kind of part of me is like, why would somebody, you know, a lot of authors in their fifties, why would an author be on Snapchat at that age? I mean, obviously to connect with readers, but for some readers are just me like, that's creepy, you know? <laughs> I was listening to somebody and she said she got onto TikTok and was like, the dance videos are really cool. And she's like in her sixties. So you never know who's out there watching them. You know, my nieces are like, you really need to try it, Aunt Andrea. And I'm like, um, okay. <laughs> Maybe someday. <laughs> All right. Uh, last question on this. So any final tips for kind of selling the book in the email? Like, do you put the blurb in? Do you write like, Oh, wow. I, this was my favorite book to write. If it was because of this, this, and this, uh, I'm kind of guilty of just saying like, Hey, I really enjoyed the hanging out with the characters in this one. I hope you will too. Here's the book. Or sometimes I just am lazy and put the blurb in. Are there better things to do to kind of pre-sell it? Um, okay. So some of the things that I found helpful include telling readers what other readers are saying. So I'll get little short one-liners from my, my street team, my review crew, and, and I'll present those. And I link to the book, every instance, the title is mentioned. Um, so be, be genuine, be concise, put the most important things at the top of the email. I like what you said. You said you put something funny and then you get into me the thing that's like your process your style that is treat has trained readers. And so it's, um, it's important to be consistent in how you present information. And so that is really, is really great. Um, putting the most important things at the top of the email, using images, uh, link to the book more than twice, um, into the court in the course, sorry, I go into several selling methods that work well for authors. And, um, at least one of them should work for pretty much every personality type, if not multiple of them. Um, so, Anyway, like I was saying, the way you, Lindsay, do it is, I mean, you're saying that you just give the stuff, the blurb, the links, the image. That's, that's really great because it cuts past the crap. And of course, there are other ways that will include warm fuzzy that also attract people such as storytelling, conceptual selling, things like that. Uh, as long as the author is always genuine and honest and upfront and confident, that's huge. They'll be miles ahead of competitors. Um, and I also recommend studying the different sales methods, uh, study what entrepreneur, entrepreneurs, that's such a hard word, are doing. Um, something I found interesting while researching for the course, um, research what entrepreneurs are doing to sell things. And then I would research or so what their, their tips on selling and writing a newsletter. So entrepreneur tips on selling and writing a newsletter. I found that they were straightforward. They were bold. They were confident. And then when I started researching how uh, people recommend authors write newsletters and sell books. I found it was, it wasn't true. It wasn't the same. So they're, they're, they're like giving tips for authors. Uh, but they were hesitant. They were cautious. They were, it was like, they're worried about stepping on toes. And these are people we know I'm not naming names, but when I read their articles, I was like, why are you being so hesitant about this? Like authors need to be confident. Authors need to be 
Like, don't be cautious. People are on your list because they actually want to be there. So don't hold back in your selling emails because you're hesitant to ask people to buy. So be confident, be yourself, but be upfront and concise. The end. (laughs) I I do feel that as authors, we have a tendency, a lot of us, not all of us, but to be kind of like critical and judgmental of our work. And it's still like, even if you have like great reviews, you, you never know. Are they going to like this new one? I don't know. I hate to say it's like the best thing I've ever written. I, I never say anything like that. I'm like, I had a good time. I, I do think it's probably easier for ty- types like some of us to say like, I liked this and this about the story rather than you will love this and this about the story. Maybe easier to write and uh, truthful (laughs) and being confident. I'm not necessarily saying you're going to love this book because that can kind of annoy readers sometimes being confident. I'm saying like, buy my book and then give them a link, you know? So don't be like, you really should ought to pick up this book the next time you get a chance because you might like it and it could help your life. I mean, just say what you want them to be, to do. And that comes across as self-assured and people are drawn to people who are, you know, they're confident, you know, they, they're comfortable with themselves. And so even if it's not the way you are, fake it till you make it. (laughs) I've been saying be genuine, but when it comes to getting people to buy, you want to say, buy my book and not be you know, scared to do that. And that's not directed to you, Lindsay. I was just trying to clarify for readers or listeners, whatever they're called. (laughs) Those people out there. All right. Uh, Joe, did you have any other final questions you want to ask or let us know if you enjoyed TikTok? (laughs) Um, I have no final questions. TikTok is fun. I, I, I'm not a Do you like the dancing? Fan. Do you like and the dancing? I watched the TikTok <laughs> that taught me how to make iced tea, and that was good too. All right. Excellent. Well, Andrea, let everybody know if they want to check out the course and get even more. Like, it's huge, guys. You should. <laughs> I don't know. How long is it, actually? Do you talk through it all? Um, I've, so it was about two hours to record. I broke it off into sections and I'm a fast talker. And so it's like, and, and people who know me know I don't put fluff in. So it's pretty much, it's, it's a beast of a course. Um, and, and there's a lot of meat in it. Uh, it can get overwhelming to take it in. So like I said, I broke it into sections. Um, the whole reason I put it together was to help authors simplify their lives, honestly. So instead of having people run out and research and, and, and figure out what kind of subject lines to use or stressing over content, things like that, banging their heads against the walls, trying to come up with all of that stuff. Um, I just, I mean, just take my course, honestly. (laughs) Um, and I'm, like I'm going to give a coupon code simplify for 25% off. It is a new course. And so I'm not going to do my regular 50% off on this one. Advanced newsletter marketing. You can go to selfpublishedoncourses.com. And we did forget to put this in the last episode. I, I totally didn't even occur to me. Um, and so I'll go ahead and link in the Facebook group. So those of you in the Facebook group last week, this is why I did this without putting a link to it in last week's episode. Um, anyway, so... I've still got my colon discount on the rest rest of my courses. That one's still active for 50% off on the rest of my courses. That includes my automation sequence course, which goes in very much in depth into what we've, um, the automation stuff we were talking about today. But yeah, go grab advanced newsletter marketing, use the coupon code simplify for 25% off. And the link is selfpublishedstrongcourses.com. And I'm going to see if I can have it be one of my um, featured courses. So when you get there, you can scroll down and it's just right there at the top again, the end, I swear, like my brain is like kind of falling apart here. The, the longer we talk, it's harder to hold the thought together. 
All right. Well, that's what we get for doing a double episode in one night. Whose idea was this? Wait, it was my idea. Okay. <laughs> but uh, I thought daughter... it was great too. <laughs> so. All right. Well, then we get next week off. It'll be excellent. Yeah. But um, thanks for listening, everyone. Check out How to Make Iced Tea on TikTok. Check out Andrea's <laughs> course. They will both equally and, you know, make your life better, I'm sure. Um, Thank you also to Joshua Pearson for producing the show. And you can find the show notes and Andrea's links at sixfigureauthors.com with the number six. Bye-bye. Bye. So long, everybody.